Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we are beginning the episode 199 Oh, one ninety-nine. RV navigator podcast. Yes. For November 2021. We encourage you to go to the RV navigator website <laughs> if you haven't already done so. Listen to, to the young Ken and Martha. <laughs> to get our monthly wallpaper calendar and look at links that are on the website that we couldn't fit into the podcast. And if you'd like to hear the young Ken and Martha, you can download all of the podcasts. Have you listened to any of the podcasts? Not in their entirety. Okay, we'll leave it up for our listeners, the loyal listeners who listen to hours and hours of us babbling on and on. Um, we appreciate all of your emails and all of your uh, comments that you make to us. They're always uh, very positive, and we appreciate you listening. And for those of you who have gone back and listened to us for years and years, with number 200 coming up, maybe you give us some ideas about some topics for the 200th episode. We've been told that we need to do something <laughs> celebratory or retrospective or commemorative, and we are not. We, we need some inspiration from you. Well, I think the inspiration will come from the champagne. Oh, that's all we need? That's pretty easy. Well, we probably should have some champagne soon <laughs> so that we get inspiration. Actually, we have a few ideas. Uh, unless it's lost in the supply chain. But we would like to have your help. Um, so feel free to send us an email. Somebody has suggested that we do a retrospective picking out the best of. But that would mean we would have to listen to all of them. That ain't going to happen. Somebody else said we should do a top ten list of the things that we've done. How many trips have you done? Have you blogged? Over 50. How long have you been blogging? Since I retired. We've only done 50 trips since 2005? Well, you're putting me on the spot here. <laughs> Let me She's look looking, up. ladies and gentlemen. It might be like 52, but it's, oh, not, really? it's not that much more. Okay, so the other idea was we do a, this is what camping was like in 2006, and this is what it's going to be like in the next 16 years in 2036. That would be very interesting. I can't really predict, but I know a lot has changed since uh, we started. I'm on blog 51 right now. So, Martha does a very nice blog. If you're interested in going someplace in the world... That we've been. That, well, we've been everywhere. No, we have not. Oh. And at this rate, we're not going <sighs> to. Because... We're old? No, we've canceled. We've, well, we were supposed cold. to be going in January to Asia, but that trip was canceled. So now we've got <coughs> some smaller trips planned. So, if we look at the perspective of hindsight and foresight... What can we predict for the future? Hmm. I don't know that we are any good as <laughs> prognosticators. We definitely couldn't have picked out where we are now back in 2006. We had a fifth wheel. We were barely just retired. We hadn't done a lot of stuff. Anyway, if you have some ideas about things we should be doing for the 2000th episode, which is 16.6 years. But we haven't been at it for 16.6 years. That's true. There were some times when I was That's persuaded to do it twice a month. Oh, no! She, with a lash and a whip, he forced her to do two, two episodes a month. 
So anyway, um, we would like to have some help um, <clears throat> with this idea, and we've gotten some good ideas, and we will try to capitalize on those. New Suggestions ideas. are welcome. As always, we always listen to our listeners, and we appreciate you sending us emails, and we try to give you the best possible advice that we can. When we started but, the podcast, uh, one of Ken's thoughts was that this should be listened to while you are driving down the road. And we know some of you, because you, have, there. because you have become our friends, and we know that that's how you listen to it, as it was intended. We also know there are others of you who are <laughs> wannabe RVers and driving to work, and that's a whole other category of listeners. Yes. But we have been surprised to discover... <laughs> from our so-called friends who are listeners, that they regularly fall asleep. <laughs> and they fall asleep during the best parts. Our, our wolf story, one of our friends missed it. Well, maybe this How is... How could this be? Because most of the time the drivers are men, and most of the time you're talking about all this technology stuff. Oh. And I'm not going to say that no women are interested in technology, <laughs> but it tends to skew in the other direction. But the wolf story was fabulous. Well, they it, were already asleep long before that story. <laughs> so, Sally, Ellen, wake up! <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've, well. we've just checked into our campground. We haven't even had time to look around, but we have been warned that there is some red tide in this area. Mm, yes. And I find myself coughing incessantly, and I'm sucking on a cough drop trying to not blast more coughs into your ear. So I apologize ahead of time for any cough drop sounds or cough sounds because the red tide seems to be bothering me. And we have made it all the way from Albuquerque, where we started off the month, all the way to the panhandle of Florida. Too much driving. I asked last month if a one-hour podcast was too long, and I I guess that's just nice for a nap, isn't it? (laughs) For those people who like to nap, an hour is probably just about the right length. You shouldn't nap longer than uh, an hour. Overall, the consensus was that uh, an hour-ish type of podcast was uh, about the reasonable length and that you enjoyed listening to them for even for that amount of time. And if you're sleeping, it doesn't make any difference anyway, so... It's still there. You can listen to it again. Of course, last month we left you with the the big question. Could we boondock at the Albuquerque Balloon Fiesta for seven days without any extra supplies being taken in? And the answer is yes. No problemo. Yes. We were able to boondock for seven, actually eight days, and we did not take on water. We did not empty the, the black tank or the gray tank, and we did not, uh, and we lived quite nicely. We used the generator, of course, and the solar panels, and we used about 18 gallons of fuel, uh, diesel, from our, for our <laughs> generator, and we lived very comfortably, I thought. After we pulled out of our parking space, though, we did notice that some people were not as restrained as we were when it came to emptying their tanks. We saw some toilet paper on the pavement, which is a big no-no. And we did very little cooking, I must say. We bought well, a, that's part of the deal. a family dinner from Red Lobster, which gave us like three three lunches and four dinners to eat off of. Um, and everything was plastic and paper plates. So it was not what I would call normal living, but it worked just fine. 
It was, yes. I thought we looked very normally. We watched TV just normally uh, because the balloon festival is basically in the morning and in the evening. You have the whole day to mess around. That's when you tend to use the power. But with the solar panels going and with the the generator uh, and with 100 gallons of water and uh, the gray tanks and the black tank, black tank we had no question that we'd be able to make it, but the gray tank uh, at 65 gallons or so uh, lasted us perfectly. As a matter of fact, I think we left with uh, about 20% still to go in both the water tank as well as the the gray water tank. Do so you feel like you can tr- trust the gauges? Our gauges are digital, mm-hmm. so of course I can trust them. Okay. <laughs> Didn't you think you could trust them? I don't know. People always complain about that they're off. Yeah, well, their sensors are in the inside of the tank, and so they get corroded, and right. ours are on the outside of the tank, so... If you haven't replaced your sensors on your tanks, you might want to do it with uh, one that has sensors on the outside. And that's something we did after the fact, and it, they've worked quite well, and they give you a digital readout as to exactly how much water you have in the tank and water, well, gray water and black water. Exactly, and or a general indication? Digital. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Digital, it, when it says you have 12 gallons left, you have 12 gallons left. Okay. Maybe. Okay, so those three things, you need power, you need water, and you need some some place to put your waste stuff. On a rig like ours, we were able to manage. And so we used uh, less than 10 gallons a day of water, so that was pretty good, I would say. It was also helpful now, that the weather was nice and we didn't get very sweaty. Yeah, all of those things are good. Yeah. And we did uh, have the option of having somebody come and pump us out and fill us up with water, but that cost 30 bucks. And For it's each not, operation. Yes, and we're not that cheap, but why bother if you don't need to? So, on to the Balloon Fiesta, which is truly an RVer event. That's the only way to see it. Yes. Just to camp on the grounds and just go into the park every time something is happening. So the first two weekends of October every year is the Albuquerque Balloon Fiesta. And this year they had 580 balloons. Now, that's really hard to believe. Which was down a bit. They down had, a bit, they yes. They had more. So... It's a 10-day event, and a lot of people go for, make it into two segments. We did not stay for the whole thing. We were there for the first weekend and for the first three days of the week. Uh, It gets kind of redundant after a while, but you do want to stay for enough time so that you can allow for weather variances because the weather is not always perfect, so they cancel things because it has to be in the air. And the weather also changes how you can view things. Yes. What they're doing and how they're doing it. And this time, this is our second time at the Balloon Fiesta, we stayed in a parking lot, and that's the way everybody does. There are just fields that they turn into RV boondocking sites. And if in our case, we were staying in a premium RVing site. <laughs> Premium meaning it was very close to the entrance. Didn't have any facilities or hookups. They didn't even have bathhouses or any. They had portasans if you wanted to use them. But and I don't know that they were there for us as much as just anybody who was yeah. attending the fiesta. So they have these big fields, which house hundreds of RVs. There were 123 airstreams there, and they filled up uh, uh, not even half of the field. So uh, 
they have lots of capacity, and then there's uh, the south lot, which has hundreds of sites. So we were staying in a nice site that was about hmm, less than 100 yards from the entrance. Took us five minutes from the time we closed the door to be in the park. And that is really nice so that you can pick up your chairs and take them into the park. You can take all your stuff, you can come back for lunch, you can just come back in the middle of the day and and then go back anytime you want to. As things are currently configured, if you come to the Fiesta with commercial rally company like right. Adventure Travel or Fantasy, you stay in a similarly configured campground, but it's across the street. Uh, you could walk to the park, but it's a mile maybe. Mm, at least, yeah. Uh, and there are shuttle buses, but they all bring you to the same spot which tends to be a very congested spot, where the side of the park that we were on and walked into the grounds on was very empty, which made it very easy to go wherever we wanted. And in this time of COVID, we never had a thought about being too close to people because people just were not very close to us. Sometimes it's to your advantage to be in the caravan lot, depending on how the wind is blowing, because a lot of the balloons tend to come down and land in that vicinity. They have a center like a football field size area in the middle where it's used for landing. And being that it's only a mile away, they, sometimes the balloons just don't go very far. And the entrance we went into was very nice because there were no crowds. We could just walk in anytime. And I think the thing about the Balloon Fiesta, which amazed me, was the fact that it has not changed since the last time we were there in 2006. The thing about the Balloon Fiesta, which is amazing, is that you can walk in and you can be right up with the balloons and you can talk to the people and you can get in their way get in the you can get in their way and they actively promote the public to come and be very much involved in the the launching process i mean not actually but i mean you're right there to watch it and there was no real restrictions. If this had been my first time there, I would have thought that everybody was so happy and friendly because they were glad to be back yeah. since the fiesta was canceled last year due to COVID. But in my memory, they were just as friendly and welcoming to us in 2005 when we went the first time. So as a photographer, you can just walk around and walk all over the field. I don't know of any other major event like this. You know, we've been to the Oshkosh air, uh, air Show. We've been to other th- shows. And, you know, they, they have barriers and they keep you away and there are all sorts of guards and things. Here, everybody is just out on the field. And because the field is 18 acres, it's large, uh, the crowds all come in, as Martha said, in the shuttle area. And we were on the other side of the field and we were there kind of all by ourselves. Of course, each balloon takes about uh, seven or eight people to launch because they have to have a crew and then uh, they have to have a chase crew to go get the balloon. So there are quite a few people out there, but a lot of them are kind of uh, working and not just spectators like we were. So we got to look at all different aspects of it. We One day we went up on a hill and we looked down on it. Another day we were actually down amongst the balloons and we were at different areas uh, depending on where the sun was. And so, wow, it's just so picturesque. And there are just so many balloons. You know, they launch in waves, 580 balloons in one morning. All in the sky at the same time. Yeah. 
Well, of course, I will put some pictures up. Uh, but for you to be there and to hear the the propane burners and to see all this action right there in front of you was just terrific. But of course, as we're talking to you, it's already too late to sign up for the one next year, oh, no. which will be extra busy because it's their 50th anniversary. Yeah, but don't really say that. If you're interested in signing up, as Martha said, it is, uh, well, it's, I don't know, it's not really too late. But to get the prime spots, they open the reservations on the Monday following the last Sunday at in the morning and you from our experience you better be right online we got exactly what we were looking for but we booked in the first half hour they do keep a waiting list and, <coughs> and we met some people that were able to come because they got in the other and list. they were like number 2000 on the waiting list but in january they got a confirmation that their site was available mm-hmm. we booked for eight nights which or eight seven nights which i think was uh, a good number we booked in what they call VIP South. So that was a very good location. And VIP I would, West. VIP West. One of the VIP lounge, one of the VIP uh, parking lots. Anyway, so it's very, very worthwhile doing that and booking in advance. Now, if you don't have time to, if you don't want to book that far in advance, then go with one of the caravans. But understand you're going to be a little bit further away. However, the caravans are nice because they take you to other things besides just the balloon rally because Albuquerque has a lot of things to do. So it's a good way to see the city if you've never been there before. Right. So during the day, you get up uh, at... 5 or 5.30 in the morning. Well, it depends on how far you have to drive. If if you're staying in a hotel and things, you have to get to the park and you have to take the shuttle and you have to blah, blah, blah. People we, were getting going at 3 o'clock in the morning is what we heard on TV that were coming from Santa Fe to come <sighs> to the Balloon Fiesta. We rolled out of bed about 5 o'clock and there's not a lot to do before dawn but we walked over there to get a good spot to see things and to get our, our in our position and by dawn we were uh in the park and and watching the balloons and they have uh, what they call dawn patrol which is a few balloons go up in advance of everybody else to kind of check out the winds and to see how uh the flying conditions are going to be we were very lucky because all six night days that we were there in the morning they had great weather. And one of the spectacular things about Albuquerque and why it's held, the Bloom Fest is held in Albuquerque, is because of the box winds. And the box winds are where the balloons are launched, they go south, and then they raise their altitude and the wind is going north. So it's very interesting and very fun to see. First, there are a few balloons and they're, and they're gently flowing south. And then they go up and you see them coming back. And believe it or not, they can land in almost exactly the same location. As a matter of fact, many of them did land back on the field that where they launched uh, half an hour, 45 minutes later. So one of the things they do uh, after everybody has gotten up in the air is what I would call like target practice, yes. where they put uh, markings on the field and the balloons return on that box wind and come down and throw something to the target. I think they win money these days. Oh, yeah. Uh, it used to be cars and things. It depends, whatever they have. And then once they've thrown at the target, they they land. And so where we were standing was right where they were landing virtually on us. 
And that's really exciting to see, too. And it could be quite dangerous, but uh, everybody's... They're, they're landing slowly. It's not like an airplane. You can see them coming. You can definitely see them coming. I mean, they're going, hopefully, just a few miles an hour. Uh, and you're, you're right there, and you can watch them and help them, and wow, it's just uh, you're really part of the action when you're... When you're on the field. The other thing we there. should we should mention is that if you want to be camped near the area where we were as independent uh, campers, there were some affinity groups that brought yes. groups of people. Numar had a group, Airstream had a group, uh, a large group that camped right next to us. So that might be another way to come to the fiesta um, and and not have to make a reservation that far in advance some because kind of they affiliation. they do some sort of uh, large group. Uh, uh, reservations. There are no stands, so there's no place to sit and just watch. You ha- <laughs> you either bring a chair and sit on the field. Uh, as I said, it's 18 acres of grass, and of course in <laughs> Albuquerque, 18 acres of grass is a lot of grass. A luxury. A luxury, and the grass was just in perfect condition. And we had perfect weather. I mean, we saw the box winds three of the days we were there, which was amazing. And the box winds are usually only available, or only the conditions are right, one out of three days. So we actually got to see quite a lot of that, which is very exciting, as I say, to see the balloons go up and go around. And then at night they have a balloon glow, which is where they use yellow flames in their balloons and they kind of light up like Christmas ornaments, I guess, and they have different patterns that they go through. So that's at dusk and they had uh, skydivers and they fireworks. had fireworks. And so in the evening they don't launch. They just sit on the field and they do Put various on a things. Show. But there were a couple of hundred balloons on the field. I mean, the field is packed. 18 acres of balloons that are on the ground. Another special part of the fiesta is that a lot of the balloons, which are not shaped like Christmas ornaments, oh, which true. is what you expect, oh, yeah, um, are called that. the special shapes. And they are anything that your imagination could come up with. Often not all that airworthy. They were very excited about this cow that <laughs> they were flying around with the udders flapping in the wind. Hard to manage. They said the silks alone for the cow were 900 pounds. When you go there and you get to see the shapes, that's a special thing. 87 different shapes and thing things too. that you've seen. And those can only launch in very good weather. good weather. So, But we saw them. They were all launched. Unfortunately, the second weekend was not very good weather. But, uh, we, weren't but we weren't there. So we didn't uh, have that experience. They didn't launch on a couple of days because the weather was too uh, windy. They could only launch in uh, about maximum between 10 and 12 miles an hour wind. So it takes uh, very calm conditions for them to launch. It sounded like one of the reasons there weren't more balloons there was that they were limited by the people from Europe who couldn't come. Oh, yeah. And when more Europeans come, they also have an event, which they did have, but it was limited, where they launch a typical gas balloon. Oh, yes. um, Filled with helium. Hydrogen? Hydrogen, yeah. Like the Hindenburg, which is kind of mind-boggling. So they have a distance. We got to watch them fill those balloons and they took off, and the idea is to go as far as you can with that balloon. Not uh, into Canada. <laughs> yeah, this year they couldn't fly into Canada, um, and it didn't sound like they did as well as they do sometimes. Yeah, they only um, went a couple, 300 miles. Yeah, so then once they take off, they're gone, and you just find out about how things turned out. You can watch it on the on, app. <laughs> onto, yeah, with your app. <laughs> this is a wonderful event, and there are no hotels, so... 
on the grounds. There are no hotels very close. You would have to take a bus to to utilize a, a hotel, and so camping is really the RVing is really the the best by far. And you can't say that about many events that uh, RVing is the, really the way to to do it. And no tenting, I should mention that too. I thought Oshkosh was good as an RVer. Oshkosh, you're right. The fly-in in Wisconsin, but that was. Flying in is the best way to do that yeah. one. <laughs> and a lot of people there were tenting and camping. So Oshkosh is another uh, good event to go to. But we'll talk about that another time, huh? And we've already done that. If you check back with uh, one of the earlier episodes... You can hear all about it. And maybe we'll we'll have uh, some summary of it next month. Wait, if we do December and we have champagne, that means we have champagne two months in a row? Because the next one will be January. Oh. Can you handle that? Of course I can. She pops the cork two times in a row. All right, so that takes care of the balloon fest. Uh, um, we have a question from Elizabeth. She wants to know, she's t- talking about winterizing, and of course that's a big topic this for you time guys. Of year? <laughs> not for us, but I'm not winterizing until April. Well, you could be. I know. If but, we had gone straight home. And I'm, and I'm doing it in April because that's when we'll be bringing our motorhome back to Illinois. Too early. Too early. Well, uh, anyway, uh, she says, uh, to cover versus no cover. We used to have a pole bar, but not anymore. We live in Maine, replacing the roof. Which is when they discovered multiple holes and leaks that had become apparent uh-huh. over the summer. It's not feasible to repair right now. She wants to know whether she starts it up and idles it once a week. Not sure what you would do. Would you drive it around? Uh, so, two questions. Three. Do you, should you cover it? Should you cover it? No. That would be my answer. No. We tried that with one of our fifth wheels, yes. and it was hard to handle, number one, and to get fastened down, and no matter how hard we tried to make it taut, over the course of the winter, the wind blew it and rubbed rubbed it, the paint off, kind yeah. of, and well, marks it, it, on the yeah, sides. Yeah, it caused damage to it. It was surprising. And if you get moisture underneath it, which is almost inevitable, it can cause mold, which Yuck. is a big problem. Yeah. So no on the cover. That would be my recommendation. Uh, it sounds like a good idea, but it just doesn't work out that well. I don't think. Question number two: Should you start it and just idle it? No. If you don't drive it a, a substantial distance, but we leave ours for two or three months without starting it, so I don't see that. And she's really worried, and I understand this about driving around on salted roads yes. because you don't want to get ro- salt in the undercarriage because that causes you other problems. I agree. So how's she supposed to drive it around? I would in not, the winter. My recommendation is just, just leave, leave it. Just leave it sit. Don't start it. Just leave it sit. Well. Uh, you said don't idle. Yes, I, I, yes, I agree with that. Don't idle. The real solution is to move away from Maine. <laughs> <laughs> Especially a diesel. I don't think that idling, just turning it on and idling it is a, is a very good idea. And driving it around, I don't know. Plan a trip somewhere. Yes, yeah, so that's the real answer is go someplace. <laughs> but if you have to let it sit... So there's downsides on both sides of that, so I don't really know how to answer that question. Okay, from listener Kevin, two things I have not been able to sort out yet. First, what is the best way to get an Internet connection? I have heard some of your shows and see how to sort by topic topic on the website. website. But what is the simplest, easiest way to get Internet? answer is the simplest way to get Internet is to get yourself a hotspot, a cellular hotspot, with unlimited high-speed data. That's the easiest way. The problem, though, is is that 
it most, doesn't work everywhere. Where we are right now, we haven't been able to stream. Yes, and you're going well, but we've been able to use the internet without too much trouble for email. But and yeah, that but sort of we have two unlimited high speed uh, hotspots: one from AT and T, one from Verizon, and they together have done a pretty good job. But we, as she says, we don't off, we don't stream that much. We can't stream that much, so that's a problem. It, you cannot rely on campground Wi-Fi, and we need to kind of work on the nomenclature here. Wi-Fi and cellular data are two separate things. A hotspot takes cellular data and turns it into a Wi-Fi hotspot that your other devices can connect up to. Wi-Fi from the campground comes from an external device and is uh, controlled by somebody else. Whereas the Wi-Fi, the hotspot, the cellular data hotspot, is controlled by you. And so getting an antenna for that uh, is pretty good, and it will help you uh, increase the speed of your of your cellular data, which is then turned into a Wi-Fi hotspot. Using your phone is uh, iffy as a hotspot. It's cheap. So the question becomes, Kevin, is how much do you want to spend? Ours for unlimited uh, hotspot high-speed data is about $70 a month. Now... You can get different plans at different times, and ours have been grandfathered in, so they're fairly old. So you need to kind of shop around and look, and you're not going to get it right away. Keep looking. And keep looking. And when you found the best deal, look some more, because there might be a better deal. It's a very fluid situation. And we would like to recommend the folks at RV Mobile Internet.com is a great resource. They have tons of tutorials and advice on how to get the best data while you're on the road. I will, of course, have a link to the RV Mobile website on our webpage for this episode, November 2021. And... They have uh, just great tutorials, and I can highly recommend them. We are members of their site and pay a little bit on a, on a regular basis just to get the information because it's hard to keep up. But it's going to cost you. That That's the bottom line. So many people say, I want high-speed data, and I don't want to pay. Well, that's not going to happen. The other thing he wants is, <laughs> second, I'm still rather tense about traveling around Metro New York, or anywhere for that matter, that I would go on, a, on the wrong road, one that an RV is not allowed on. I use Google Maps and my laptop to plan my course and my stops. But then... When I send it to my phone, I run into uh, it runs to the car on Apple Play. I cannot highly recommend enough that you get an RV-specific GPS, a standalone GPS. So many t- people have had big problems with Google and their phones. And part of the problem is, is because much of the data has to come to you live. And as we found out, it sometimes takes seconds for the download data to appear on your screen and by then it's too late to make that turn and if you're traveling near high mountains and the cell signal is interrupted or you're in a big city and the cell signal is bouncing around between the skyscrapers it just aggravates the problem even more so you need a standalone gps now these are not overly cheap uh it's easy to spend three four hundred dollars on one but it will basically solve your problem because the standalone gps will 
constantly have data. It has the maps in its uh, in its um, database, and you put in the your parameters for your RV, how tall it is, and it won't let you go down roads that are not appropriate for your RV. So. Driving around big cities, we do that quite a lot because we are in Chicago and we go through Atlanta regularly. Um, my recommendation <laughs> about roads in general is if you see an 18-wheeler on that road, they're bigger than you are, so you can go there too. So little, we've done quite a lot of driving lately on fairly small roads, two-lane roads that don't have a shoulder and are fairly narrow. Uh, but... We saw trucks going down the road, so I said, okay, we can go there, too. You just have to pay attention and make sure that you don't go over the center lane. In big cities, it's kind of the opposite problem. You have 12 lanes across, and you're saying, oh, my God, is there a lot of traffic here? And that's uh, a problem that can be solved when you just say, I'm going to worry about what's going on in my lane, and I'm not going to worry about what's going on in the other lanes. I know that's hard to do, but everybody there is staying in their lane, and so the only thing I have to worry about is what's going on in my lane. And being in the right one. That's up to the GPS and your navigator. But that, that yes, you do have to change lanes on occasion, but basically it's uh, just you and the cars in your lane. And one of the big advantages of a motorhome is, is that you're up high so that you can see what's going on ahead of you above the cars and see any tricky situations that you need to pay attention to. And you can see those lane changes that you might have to do as a result of uh, navigation issues. So I, I don't know. We take this thing through every big city, and we've been through Chicago many times because we live in, a, in an urban area and we've been on these 12 lane roads and it just is something you have to do. It's much more pleasant to go down I-10, put on the cruise control and say, take me there. And you just drive for hours and hours and it's uh, pretty much no traffic. And then you run into road construction. <laughs> yeah, well that's another issue. Of course, we're living small lately. Yes, this has been a very troubled <laughs> trip. Um, we are averaging wow. four things breaking a month, according to the list that I've been keeping. We talked to you about some of our tire problems on an earlier episode, and most recently... Which, by the way, where we had no data, you'll remember, and no cell phone yeah, service. Most recently, so a we, GPS wouldn't have worked there. Most recently, we put out um, our slide-outs, and one of them made a crunchy noise and kind of fell down, and we knew that that was not good, and indeed it wasn't. We need a new motor, which is easily obtained under normal circumstances, but we are not living in normal circumstances because of the supply chain problems that you're hearing so much about. So we have had to live with one of our slides in. The lack of space doesn't bother me too much, but the fact that we are watching our TV <laughs> through the window of our slide is... On the end of our slide is we have windows, and when the slide is in, the window covers the TV. So now we... We have to use our imaginations. Do we you see a sliver of the TV, and of course you're looking through the screen and the smoked window. Do we remember so, what that newscaster looked like when we could still see her while we recognize her voice. That must be who it is. I have not really ever wanted to have an outdoor TV. But now you do. But now it would be nice to have. Uh, this Our rig didn't come with an outdoor TV. We have one in the bedroom, so we've been watching uh, TV from the bed through our toes. Um, and that's something that works out okay, but uh, it's not as convenient as having the, the big slide. We have opposing slides. 
which means we have a slide on the left-hand side and a slide on the right-hand side. So our last rig just had one slide on the front, and we thought that that was really good. So now we just have one slide out, and we're thinking, ooh, we miss having the other slide out because it makes it twice as very wide. It would have been nice to be able to use our desktop computer screen as a, a way to watch some TV programs where we did want to see what the person looked like, but that has broken as well. And now we are searching for an Apple dealer. If only it had broken down while we were in Albuquerque when your phone broke and we could take that to an Apple dealer, we could have solved that problem a little sooner. So one issue when you are traveling in this way is that you can't get Amazon deliveries very easily and secure the parts you need even when you know exactly what to do and how to do it. An Amazon order for two months or more. Oh, how could that possibly be? So, I have a list, a long list. So when and we by the way, the, mo- the motor issue, we could fix this slide in just a minute, but we don't have the motor. And they're not available from the manufacturer till maybe the First day the this year. podcast comes out. Oh, maybe. No. He said November 30th. He was ex- November. He was ex- yeah. This podcast comes, comes out November 1st. A whole nother month. Wow. <laughs> So when we get our mo- and the motor only costs eight hundred ninety dollars. Well, there's that too. <laughs> Owning a motorhome is not all that cheap. I've become inured to everything that we do costs a thousand dollars. So <laughs> she just accepts it as that's the way it is. But we have enjoyed our motorhome, and it has done well in the state parks. A lot of people buy these teeny tiny rigs because they're going to stay in state parks and national parks and stuff. But we have. Uh, since the Albuquerque Balloon Festival, stayed in how many state parks? At least oh, half a dozen. At least. Pretty much at will. We just picked out some nice, and now we're camped literally on the ocean in Destin, Florida, and <laughs> we can't get to the ocean because the boardwalk is under construction, but we can drive a short way and and, uh, and actually get to the beach. But we are staying in Florida state parks. We've stayed in Alabama state parks. We've stayed in Arkansas state parks. We've stayed in lots of state parks. And for those people who are skeptical about taking a big rig into a state park, that's not really been much of a problem. Wouldn't you agree? Well, it's something you have to pay attention to. You yeah. can't assume that you can fit, but in many cases we can. And, of course, one of the things we wanted to do in some of these state parks was look at the fall colors. Which we saw in Santa Fe. Santa Fe. But not since then. We drove to an area of Arkansas that was supposed to be very good for fall colors. Stayed in a state park. At the time when we thought that they should be changing. By November. And with, no, it was still October then. Oh, well, um, late October. With climate change, and it's the weather and Mother Nature. We could see that it had a lot of potential. There were a lot of beautiful trees there. But they were all still green. So the Aspens out in Colorado and in the higher elevations in... Northern New Mexico. ...are really, really spectacular. We had one great day of uh, fall color in Santa Fe, and it was... uh, well worth uh, visiting that area but since then we have had no fall color so go to the maples of maine visit elizabeth (laughs) 
No, remember, we didn't get that good of fall color in Maine either because it has so much seashore and it's it's cold, but it's not cold enough. So we went to New Hampshire? Yeah. And Vermont? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's the place to go for really. I'm not saying they don't have it, but when we but were the, there. The west fall colors are very different than the east right. fall colors, so right. it's worth doing both. And yeah. to see good colors, you need to have a mountain that the trees are marching up so you can get kind of a panorama rather than and, the trees blocking each other. And, of course, we have been experiencing the change in the seasons here because we left just before it got really cold. We had friends who got stuck in snow. Right after us. Right after us. Um, so we have had great weather, uh, but, boy, you got to pay attention because you're going to get uh, some cold weather at this time of year if you stay out in the high elevations. And I think that's one of the, for us Midwesterners, driving in high elevations is just, we just don't understand how it works. But if you want to be a full-timer, maybe you need to get a magazine. And there is a magazine for full-timers called Rootless Living. And the cool part about this is that they're offering a free subscription until November of 22. So that's a whole year subscription. Uh, it's an online subscription. But if you're interested, you can you can get the subscription and uh, read their magazine and see if it's worth uh, actually subscribing for money. And that's at rootlessliving.com. I've read a few issues, and they're, they're big on um, boondocking and full-time living. So uh, nice magazine. I was impressed. And we also want to mention we have used Harvest Host a few times. And there is a site that's similar to Harvest Hosts that I was not aware of. This is Van Life, and they are putting together a database of uh, places to stay with your smaller RVs that uh, is basically a free. If you haven't heard of us, we're an app that connects travelers in vans, RVs, and cars to driveway hosts for safe overnight parking. Hosts usually offer amenities like Wi-Fi, power, etc. And think of Airbnb or Van and for Van Life and driveways. We have listings in all 50 states, some for as little as $1 a night. As a van lifer, I'm sure you've encountered sketchy overnight parking situations. We're trying to provide a safe, pleasant overnight parking experience for travelers while offering a way for hosts to make a a passive income. Anyway, we just launched our app on the App Store and Google Play Store a couple of weeks ago, and things are starting to pick up pretty quickly. We differ from boondockers and harvest hosts in that we don't require a subscription to use our service. Anyone can become a host. The only requirement is being a spot to park. That could be a driveway, a dirt lot, or anything. Hosts pick the daily rate, some for as little as a dollar. They can also offer amenities like Wi-Fi, water, electricity, pet play space, etc. It's completely up to them. With Vanly, V-A-N-L-Y, you don't need to be a host or pay a fee in order to use the app. So I'm going to, of course, put a link to this on this month's episode's webpage, and you might want to take a look at them if you're considering uh, doing some traveling and you'd like to save a bit of money because it sounds like a good deal. A lot of times for overnight, you just don't need any extra facilities, and you're just looking for a place to, to park overnight. And that's why we've enjoyed Harvest Hosts as well as Boondockers Welcome. We did want to mention about uh, one state park that we stayed at that was uh, that is truly spectacular if you have a chance to stay there. Uh, this is a it's Gulf State Park in Gulf, Gulf Shores, Shores, Alabama. Alabama. This state park is one that should be emulated across the United States. Not only does it have a great beach opportunity, but it is 500 sites and 
Many pull through. Many pull through. All large. And they have all sorts of facilities and 28 miles of biking, lakes. They have full hookups. Full hookups. Tennis court, pickleball. Pool. Two restaurants. Boat launch. Fishing. And 30 some odd dollars a night. And if you can get into Gulf Shores, Gulf State Park in Gulf Shores, it's uh, well worth uh, spending some time to visit because it is truly uh, a great uh, experience. Maybe we shouldn't talk about it because now more people will want to go. I like to help our listeners. Oh, okay. And I want them to visit the best places they can and have good experiences while they're RVing. When we were newbies, we used to winter in Florida and then start to work, work our way north. And that's when it would occur to us that we would like to camp where we are right now, in the Florida Panhandle and the Gulf part of Alabama. And we went to Gulf State Park one March, if my memory is correct, just to see it, inquire if we could stay there, and the people laughed. And then we looked around and we thought, oh, this would be a wonderful place. We'll just plan ahead and we'll try to come here next year. So so while we were there, we said, can we come here 12 months from now? And the people laughed again. So, <laughs> oh, geez. When That's you, true. When you come to really special places, um, we don't like to make reservations and we like to float around. But sometimes you just got to bite the bullet and make some plans. Right. And this place is interesting. The off-season is in the winter so right now november through march is off season so you can reserve sites there for months at a time in season you can only stay for two weeks which is more usual for state parks yeah but kind of strange for this part of the country because a lot of people think of it as warm but in the winter time it's not very warm so if you're planning on going to someplace warm for the winter you want to stay south of orlando i would say because uh, this panhandle area is fairly chilly but right now it is uh, extremely delightful because uh, it can also be very hot here and I would think that Gulf State Park could be very hot in the summertime but uh, that's where families want to go and it's very family friendly well that's another thing they had they had a vast dog play area and then they had an area right next to it for the owners who could sit in the shade (laughs) and have paddle fans (laughs) swirling over their heads to keep them cool while they watch their dogs wow Somebody had spent a lot of money, and I I guess it's worth it. I don't know. We have a suspicion that perhaps some of the settlements that had been made with oil spills Ah. in the Gulf of Mexico might have come to this particular part of Alabama, and perhaps they chose to spend the money vastly improving this park because it is just perfect. Yeah, it's the it's one of the nicest state parks you'll ever stay in. And probably next month we'll have the top ten parks we've ever stayed in. Oh, my God. Have you thought about this? No. But we need some suggestions. So uh, where are we going from here? We're staying here for four nights. Um, we'll be leaving on uh, on Halloween, Halloween. And we'll be driving south back to our Florida accommodations. Our home at, away from home. At the, the Great Outdoors in Titusville, Florida. And working on fixing all the things that are broken. Well, there aren't that many. Well, you can't, no, three of them have been fixed. You can't blame the computer no, failure on no. the motorhome. But being on the road like this made it much harder to take care of. Well, yeah, but that's always the case. Yep. 
we try to take care, uh, good care of our motorhome, but it, it's it's served us well. I mean, we've had only a flat tire, and we've had the slide out that doesn't work, and the door and the shade that, that doesn't go up, and the rifle range that I sit next to because the door lock keeps coming in and out and in and out at unexpected moments. Should I go on with my list? I have it here. <laughs> She's looking at her husband like he should try to fix this stuff. No, I, you can't. You don't have the parts. You don't have the know-how. The, I'm a failure. The, oh, the, no. the DVD player, that broke. The, the device that enabled us to record local programs over the air, that broke. Dashboard air only brings the temperature down five <sighs> degrees. I shouldn't even tell her these things. And so on. She, she's making a list. But the honeydew list is no, growing. No. Yes, it is. It's not your fault. Not at all. So, ladies and gentlemen, we will be on the road for another short time, and the next time you hear from us, we will be in... Titusville. No. Oh, we'll be home. Yeah. We'll be home. We plan to be home before Thanksgiving. That's right. And uh, being with the family for a, a short time, and then after the first of the year, we will be cruising once again. It'll be nice to talk about that. There hasn't been enough cruising in my life. Could there ever be? Well, yeah, I like variety. Because we've had so many things canceled. We are just sitting around in the motorhome waiting for things to kind of uh, settle down so that we can travel. And it's going to happen. It's coming up on an hour. Oh, no! Time for everybody to wake up. (laughs) Come on, you guys. Wake up! (laughs) And help us with episode 200 so that we can have, uh, well, we'll make it an extra specially long episode so that every every topic can be covered in, in detail. Mm, after we've had some champagne, maybe not. <laughs> well, we do appreciate you listening. Even if you don't hear every story that we have to tell, we do appreciate it uh, having you uh, listening and sending us comments and making suggestions it's always a pleasure and at the at the balloon festival we just we two of our listeners showed up and they actually found us <coughs> which was hard to believe at least two at the least people two. from wisconsin and the guy who started listening when we were on sunday morning oh, yeah. and the woman with the airstream would you buy an airstream i really like how they look but uh-huh. they don't have enough space we, inside for me. We, <laughs> we talked to some folks that th- there were 180 Airstreams in of, attendance. Of various close to us. sizes and models and vintages. And they were obviously all together. And they told us that they were very special because there were 2,000 Airstream owners who wanted to come to the Balloon Festival. But as they an only, affinity group. As an affinity group, but they only had space for 140. So They had a raffle. They had a raffle. Or a lottery. Something. Yeah, lottery. And so these people felt very special that they were able to come to the Balloon Festival with their Airstream. And I look at Airstreams without slides, and they just, with the rounded corners mean that you don't have much storage space. Somebody has to clue me in as to what the appeal of these Airstreams are. And maybe... It's just the camaraderie of it's, it's fellow taste. owners. You like what you like. But you got to live in it. No, not everybody stays as much in their RV as we do. Okay. If you were in there for a shorter period of time, it'd be just fine. And they're really? cute. They're, they're nice cute. looking. Nice looking. Whew. Okay. So with that, Airstream owners, let us fill us in on what the appeal is. Because... Uh, you don't see it. I don't see it or we don't see it. I wouldn't want to have one, No. But you see it. I see it. I see its charm. So I have to reevaluate the way I'm 
No, it's your opinion. Okay. So, dear listener, it's very nice that in the past month we have actually seen some of you in a campground near us, which is exciting, the the phrase that we use at the end of the podcast. And we hope that next month we will also see some of you in a campground near us. We will be in a few campgrounds uh, before the Thanksgiving holiday. So, please uh, let us know where you are, and we will be in contact with you when we can. Otherwise... We will see you in a campground near us in the not-too-distant future. Happy travels, stay healthy, stay happy, and be well-rusted. And we hope that everything gets fixed. Yes. Martha will be happy next month.